Thanks for tuning in to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. We are on episode 118. I am Josh Roop. With me, my co-captain, as always, Scott Larson. And Scott, it is an amazing day. I'm excited for our guests. But before we get going on that, I want to just throw this out there. I know there's a bunch of pinball machines floating around right now. It is time to buy, if you haven't so far, Venom Shipping. This game is exploding on media right now. If you haven't checked out these, these videos, they're amazing. Also, Zach can get you any other game you want. Isn't If you don't want just Stern, you can get Galactic Tank Force. You can get all those Pulp Fictions coming out here soon. I mean, if you haven't got your hands on these games, it is now time to... You can even trade in and trade up with Zach. And he is also selling used games and shipping them nationwide. So go check out his supply. Scott, yeah. who do we got with us today? Uh, well, Zach also is on the hunt for me, too, because uh, I have a friend who's looking for a Black Knight Sword of Rage Pro. So if you guys have any ho any hookups, uh, looking for home use only, but uh, shoot me a text. I'd be interested. Okay, so we have Meredith and Austin Bragg. And just in case you don't know who they are, they are the people who brought you Pinball the Movie. And so this is, this is actually, it's great because it's such a niche thing. And ironically, I, so I, I work in a hospital and one of the surgeons uh, came up to me the other day. He's like, you know, I was flying to Hawaii and I saw a show on, on Delta and it was about pinball. And I thought of you and I'm like, yeah, that's uh, our, our friends did that show. And it's a great show. So we want to welcome Meredith and Austin Bragg. And I want to know how this all came about. So first off, introduce yourselves. Tell us how you got into movies, how you got into your day jobs, and then let's transition to figuring out, I mean, this is such a niche topic that everybody in pinball knows about, but outside of pinball, very few people know about it. Yeah, so I'm Meredith Bragg. Uh, I'm Austin Bragg. <laughs> um, <clears throat> let's see, we've been, we've been, we grew up as comedy nerds. So watched a lot of sketch comedy when we were kids. This would be 90s, early 2000s. So, you know, obviously SNL, but Kids in the Hall, The State, Mr. Show, a lot of British comedy, Monty Python and the like. Yes. And um, we just really liked it. And so when Austin was in college, he put on a sketch show. Much to the chagrin of my professors. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they were they used. They had a little black box theater called Theater Two at James Madison University, which is where we went. And um, typically, students would put on Ibsen or you know Homeless Hamlet, something like that. And uh, Austin put on the Big Honkin Sketch Show, and uh, it went very well and sold out. And um, they how many? You had like four. I think we shows. had four different shows in the black box and a couple yeah. of others scattered around campus. So yeah. part of that, we there was a, um, a movie theater on campus, and we created trailers to go in front of the movie theater. So I was working at a public access station. I had already graduated working at ABC Radio, but also a public access station at the same time. And they gave us access to equipment. And so we made short little trailers to show before the movie to help advertise the film. And I think that's when we sort of fell in love with it, uh, the form. Um, when he graduated, uh, Austin took over my job at the public access station. So we continued to have access, get a key. And so we could get in the middle of the night and play with their equipment. And we made a number of shows, um, sort of shorts, and we made a documentary about Star Wars. And it was about that time that Austin found Channel 101. 
which maybe you can explain that, Austin. Yeah, Channel 101 was uh, created by Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub out in L.A., and then one popped up in New York out of the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. The idea is that people, you know, people were getting access uh, to equipment. It was becoming cheaper and easier for people to make things on their own. So what they did was they they created Channel 101, and the idea was people created five-minute television shows, and then they screened them in front of an audience, uh, a live audience, and the audience uh, then voted on their top five. And the top five shows uh, were supposed to come back a month later with a new episode of that show, and they would be pitted against you know, the five returning shows and five new pilots uh, every month. And so we had a couple of different shows that we did there. That was sort of our filmmaking school uh, was creating one series in particular, went on for a couple of years called the defenders of Stan. And it got the attention of Warner brothers, Warner brothers saw it and they brought us in to talk and bought the pilot and we shopped it around town. It never went anywhere, but that was our first inclination that, Oh, maybe we can do this. And it's not just for all of our friends to have a good time. That's awesome. Yeah, and so as far as Pinball, um, we had had a short film that was to premiere at Tribeca in 2020 called A Piece of Cake, which is about uh, the difficulty in finding those little silver confectionery, silver confectionery balls uh, okay. called dragees. You'll see them on like Christmas cookies and wedding sure. cakes. Sure. The difficulty of finding those in California, they are effectively illegal. Seriously? And, yes. And yeah, you'll, so, if you ever get a like a canister, you'll see it says not for sale in California. Uh, Okay, yeah. that, that's new to me. So, uh, so confectionery <laughs> balls are illegal in California. But only my, certain kinds. Only, only the silver kind. The silver reflective yeah. confectionery balls. I believe that, the gold ones are also anything that has. They metal, might be any yeah. sort of small that amount is of metal. So, okay, it's just like. So, have you guys gone to Disneyland in the last ten years? Yes. Okay, so uh, have you seen the sign that has oh, yes. like. Yeah, the, the sign that says Disneyland uses uh, substances that are known to be carcinogenic, and it's like by proposition something. I, I can't Top remember. 65, right? There, yeah, it, it's just, it's so ridiculous, but I'm sure yeah, this is signs. like an out, outgrowth of all that, too, right? It is. Those signs is. are everywhere. Yeah, they are. It's on your sticker. Okay, I love it when you get a, like, you get a pinball machine. This pinball <laughs> machine is, has used stuff that is known to cause cancer in California. I'm like, Wow, I'm so glad I don't live in California. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so we are sure. So somewhere around the time that was supposed to premiere at Tribeca in 2020, and COVID happened, so we ended up having a very <laughs> wonderful but virtual um, film festival run with that film. But I am sure at some point we typed in illegal silver balls into Google, and the picture of Roger popped up playing in front of the city council, and that mm -hmm. was, you know. I feel like Austin and I are sort of the Ripley's believe it or not of weird laws. Um, mm -hmm. We just collect these things and we have a Google doc where we will throw weird ideas that maybe they'll become a documentary. Maybe they'll be fodder for some short YouTube video. Maybe there'll be something more. And this was on that list. So we put it on there. We assume that's where, where we found it. And um, so around the time that around February, 2020, I just cold emailed Roger. We were trying to figure out what to do next. The, production company, MPI Films, that funded a piece of cake, a short film, mm -hmm. had asked us if we had any feature ideas. And so we called up Roger and I spoke to him for about three hours. 
And that's it? Just three hours? End, well, that time. And at the end of it, I, I called Austin. I said, I think this might be a feature because he had told me everything else. Mm-hmm. He told me about Ellen and Seth and GQ and writing the book and all this. So it became, we're, we didn't come from, from the, at this as pinball people. Mm-hmm. But what he told us on that call really gave us something that felt like it was universal that we had this quirky story about pinball being illegal and why, and this guy who helped legalize it in New York city by, you know, through this, through his demonstration, but it was everything else that really captured us as well. Like, and just the way he talked, we just hit it off. And so that started a process where Austin and I ended up speaking to him during the pandemic when people would jump on zoom and be thankful to talk to someone outside their household. And we spoke with him for cumulatively days, Mm -hmm. just, he just gave us everything. And it really became a process of us winnowing down what we thought was important for a a script. And thankfully MPI films liked the script. And then because of a delay that they needed, they needed a push. Uh, They had a film on the slate, but they had to push it for actor availability reasons. And they wanted to shoot something in 2021. So we got the call late spring saying you're up and you know, four months later we were on set. (laughs) It's crazy. Who wrote the script? We both did. We did. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's a and, great script. Well, and it's it's tough, too, because I think if anyone, if a complete stranger approaches you out of the blue and says, we want to make a movie about your life and it's going to be a comedy, mm-hmm. you probably don't jump at the chance, right? But, yeah. you know, we worked with Roger and MPI sort of at the same time you know, narrowing our focus and creating outlines and showing them, you know, where we wanted to take the story. And by the time we had even a rough outline, I think they were pretty much signed on, which was fantastic. Roger really let us in and, you know, uh, gave us, gave us a little bit of license, which was fantastic. I gotta say, I love this movie and it's funny because I almost, I keep joking that it's a bait and switch, right? Like we think it's about pinball but it's really a romantic comedy that just happens to feature pinball. And I think it's brilliant going from that angle because <laughs> my wife, when I was like, this movie is coming out, you're going to watch it with me. She's like, please, please don't make me watch something about pinball. <laughs> and we watched the premiere cause they did it virtually and we were able to get the tickets and whatnot. And by the end of it, she's like, that was amazing. That was not what I was expecting. And I don't know how you guys did it. But it's something like we get it in the pinball industry. Like us in this community we love it and stuff like that but people outside of it it's hard to if you don't have any investment in the hobby i feel it's probably just like any other hobby like watches or something like that but if you can't get any investment from that hobby then then the the topic falls flat and somehow you guys were able to make this beautiful romantic comedy and and dress it up with the interesting history of yeah this was illegal and, and LaGuardia was quite i love how you've turned him into the villain but it even says in the movie, Roger says, says, so the villain's really a piece of paper in a filing cabinet somewhere and the mayor's been dead for 30 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. It just, how, was it always, I guess, getting to the question is, was it always like we're going in this as a comedy stance or romantic comedy stance or or there was it originally like we need to do a film about pinball and then it just kind of happened to gravitate towards the romantic comedy as well? I think we always knew there would be comedy involved. That's sort of our our background. That's sort of our bent Anytime you're doing, you know, this sort of independent film, these, you know, lower tier, 
budgets. We talked about how in order to get seen, you kind of have to get weird with it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And you to stand out from the crowd. So we knew we were going to get weird with it. We knew we were going to, you know, do our best to make it funny. But we also had this struggle, right? First off, it's pinball. And second off, LaGuardia is the bad guy, but from 40 years ago, you know, and he's got an airport named after him. He's not exactly your your typical villain for this story. And so we knew it was going to be a little bit of a challenge. And then coupled with the fact that Roger was constantly downplaying the actual shot Mm -hmm. that he's so well known for. I think at one point during our Zooms, I literally just said, Roger, I'm going to open this movie with you saying, I don't think this should be a movie. And that kind of stuck. That turned Mm -hmm. out to be the most fun uh, sort of outline that we came up with. And that really gave us a chance to play in and out of the the true history and the sort of theatricality of making a movie about it. It it uh, it worked, and it plays well. You guys do it multiple times during the movie. Like you said, it starts out at just a footnote. You know, let me give you the full story. I I love the you know he finally makes the shot in court. You guys are you know you're you're, you're building up to this all the time. You finally make the shot, and he's cheering and confetti's going. And he's like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Oh, man, that's not what happened. <laughs> just constant stuff like that. It just it plays so well. One of my favorite things that you guys did in this movie that like it's never really it's kind of alluded to, but it's never really talked about in movies. It's a part where he meets like with the politician and he's like, You mother and then Roger's like, Wait, what kind of radio are we going for here? I don't know, PG PG thirteen. Okay, I'll save that for later. Like <laughs> I don't think he ever used it, did he? No, he doesn't. Oh, but gosh. It, the thing is, okay, so yeah. <laughs> I realize we're a family-friendly podcast, yeah. so I it, will. It was hilarious, there. though. Like it it's was hilarious in there, but I think we use a a soft curse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When the uh, when the chairman essentially notices that Roger can call his shots, yeah, he says, "Oh, yeah, believe yes. it, yeah," and. We probably should have been harder We've, because so many people have said, you never said it. I was like, well, uh, technically, when you're yeah. dealing with the rating no, boards, it, that's considered a it, problem it, word. It was good. But I guess it wasn't enough. But it, yeah. it, it, it was actually done really well. I, I well, like if it. I could do it again, I would definitely go a little harder there yeah. or underscore it somehow a yeah. little bit more. <laughs> anyway, it was great. It was perfect. It, it I mean, the whole movie, it's just it's great. I I don't know. I don't want to say to that because it's seriously like I, I really thought this was just going to be, we've, we've seen playing pinball documentaries and whatnot. And it just, this is something entirely different. Like even let me bring up another point too. I just love to, it starts out, you know, it was the summer of 71 play John Lennon's imagine. You're like, no, no, yeah. whoa, stop. No, too, too expensive. No. Yeah. It's too, too slow and too expensive. It just, yeah. I love that style of humor. I guess that's just you guys on, on film, right? That's just how it goes. Well, but that's also the amazing thing about this is anybody who's talked to Roger for one minute knows that you captured Roger's personality perfectly (laughs) because he is a master storyteller. He's very engaging. He's very entertaining. He also is the most indirect storyteller I've ever met. (laughs) <laughs> where you could ask him to give a 30 minutes or 30 second synopsis of it. And three days later, he's still talking. 
because he, but he's, he's such a great storyteller and the way you opened it, it, I was like, yeah, this is, this is definitely the way Roger would tell the story. And so like, how did that come apart because, or come together that you decided, you know, we're going to do a movie about an interview, but it's still going to have, you know, going to have him popping in and out and breaking the fourth wall. Well, first, let me say that what a wonderful uh, characteristic to have in a subject, because sitting down and talking with him, we got so much information from oh, yeah. him about his life. It was really just uh, an incredible wealth of data that he handed us. Again, I think, you know, as as for how it how it came about there, there's a lot of us in that part of the script because we we were sitting with him going through this journey over months you know trying to write it over zoom Mm -hmm. and so that interview process became part of the story in a lot of ways and a weird touchstone that we kept coming back to discussing um when we were writing this was actually uh, the princess bride yeah because you've got fred savage getting you know the story read to him by grandpa and oh it's a kissing book i don't want the kissing book but by the end he's like i'm okay with it right and so we wanted to make sure that there was a you know a character should change from beginning to end and we wanted to make sure that that was reflected in the sort of off-screen direction as well I, i think also like when you know bringing it back a little bit to what you're saying about this being sort of a secret romantic comedy part of this was Roger and really talk, just how we talked with Roger and what he told us and how he kept saying the shot was a footnote and that it really wasn't that big a deal. And it wasn't that big a deal then. And it's, you know, kind of interesting that it's become a big deal now, but downplaying it. And he kept talking about how, you know, family is important families and, you know, that came. So I like, and it's no surprise that you can play pinball in New York city. Like we all know how it's going to end. So Allowing us to to delve into that side of it gave at least an, maybe some question in the audience's mind about what was going to happen and which way it was going to go, because we all knew he was going to make the shot. I mean, we literally yeah. say it at the right. top. Yeah. Tell us about the shot that changed everything. You know, tell us, you know, as far as the the imagine joke and, and some of that, you get about, I'm a strong believer that you get about five minutes to get the audience engaged mm-hmm. and sh- tell them what the rules of the movie are going to be. So we had to fit a lot of that in. We had to fit in the fact that there was going to be an, it was going to be an older version of Roger telling the, telling a story in which he will appear and change the circumstances and not always be happy with the choices that the movie makers are making, but also the movie makers are going to have to make allowances for him as well. It's a push and pull. And so yeah. we really wanted that. And so that was just a really quick way of letting people know sort of, I, mean, I think all that happens in the first 45 seconds or so Yeah, that we're very quickly establishing what the, the game is going to be for the whole film. And that was just a fun one that I think Austin came up with. And I, I loved it. <laughs> okay, I, I do want to know who, who came up with the line. Cause I, I laughed out loud when I heard this where I said, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're an idiot. <laughs> Pretty sure that was also Austin. So that's Austin's twofer for this one. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Because seriously, I was like, yep, that's totally true. Okay. I want to know how much of, how much of you is in this movie? Because there were some moments that were authentic. 
like that. Um, so, and this is getting into me a little bit. I actually, um, I, I met my wife when I was 34 and she was 30 and she actually was recently divorced. And the conversation that she had was, it was exactly me having that conversation with my wife. I mean, I had never been married, but she, uh, I, I remember it was the first week I'd taken her out for a pre-date. <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, I took her for ice cream. And then the uh, later I, I called her. I was in the middle of eating whatever crappy dinner I, I had prepared. And I said, oh, uh, what are you doing? She's like, well, I'm thinking of going to dinner. I'm like, you know what? I'm thinking of going to dinner too. <laughs> so I, I, I shoved that. I went to dinner. And then we were getting in, you, you always get into, okay, so what, what's going on? What, what, what's bringing? And she just paused for a second. She's like, well, I'm recently divorced. I've been, I was married for 11 years. And I was like, that is a hundred percent how that conversation goes. And so I totally identified with that conversation. So I would just say that's not our personal experience. Mm -hmm. Um, though, uh, Technically, Roger and I had a lot of moments where we uh, sort of looked at each other over Zoom and went, oh, me too. Uh, <laughs> uh, my wife is uh, 70 years older than I am. She was mm -hmm. divorced when we met. I mean, it was all that right. all that sort of we had moments that I can relate to. But that predate is straight from Roger's history. That is Ellen to a T. Mm -hmm that she knew what she wanted and she was very clear about that from the get-go. And so for us, that was super easy. That just wrote itself. Right. Yeah. There's, I would say about 90 to 95% of all of the, everything you see, all the plot points mm -hmm. um, are hundred percent accurate. We played with the timeline and obviously the dialogue has been, you know, shoved through Bragg Brothers' brain uh, <laughs> uh, and then actors. But most of the data points, so the, you know, meeting Ellen in an elevator, everything with GQ, why he got hired, the fact that he was divorced and, you know, lost all his furniture, that he randomly found the pinball machine at an adult bookstore. He says he never went behind the curtain. You know, all this stuff is true. I will say because Roger will want me to say this on the record. So do, the one thing that he did, we initially had a dinner date and then Roger would take Ellen to the adult bookstore. And he was adamant. He's like, I never, ever would have taken Ellen to that bookstore. Like never, that would have been terrible. I never would have done it. Like it was terrible this, you know, date. I, I'm not that, you know, you can't have that in the movie. Right. And we pleaded our case. We are like, we need you to show Ellen why you love pinball. Like it's important as a character thing. Right. Both, you know, here right. are the three, here's the love triangle, right? Here's the love light. Here, here are the yeah. two loves of your life. You want to introduce them in some way. And like, this is going to be the easiest way to do that. He's like, fine, but it has to be during daylight. We're like, no problem. <laughs> and it is the most PG adult bookstore <laughs> you've ever seen in your entire life. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I love, I don't know. One, I'm, we're going to get into casting later, but oh. the guy who is the clerk at the adult bookstore was one of my favorite characters because he was the perfect like character actor, comic relief in the background. I loved his little inter interactions. And I also loved when they start like the romantic playing the pinball and he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, what is this? The cuddling from behind? Right. <laughs> this is creepy. <laughs> Yeah, Connor Ratliff is the 
is the the adult bookstore clerk. Yeah. And he is we have so many great character and so many great actors that we just completely underutilized because mm-hmm. and he was one of them. Yeah. He is so amazingly funny and gifted. And if you um if anyone is interested, he he was actually the just finished a podcast called Dead Eyes, which I highly recommend anyone. Okay. Uh where he recounts his story and then talks to a number of people associated with it about how Tom Hanks fired him from Band of Brothers because he, <laughs> said he had dead eyes. <laughs> and it all culminates. I mean, at this point, it's all on the records. So I don't think it's going to spoil that. It, it all culminates in the end of season three. They did three episodes where he actually sits down with um, Tom Hanks. And it's amazing. It's a great, great podcast listen. Mm. I'll listen to that. Okay, I, I have to say, it's been a year since you guys originally shown this movie to the public. Since then, you guys have received multiple awards, and it's had an amazing amount of praise. It holds a 95% Rotten Tomato score and has been voted one of the top three must-sees independent films of the year. Did you think he'd be receiving this much praise for this movie? And I guess, what was your goal starting the movie, and did you achieve that goal by the end of it? I mean, clearly, no, never. <laughs> this is a brag family trait, I'm afraid, that we will always uh, see the flaws and uh, will always be very hard on ourselves. So we never imagined uh, this level of success that it's garnered. I don't know. As far as our, we keep saying that as you know, our sort of goal for it was always we just don't want to get kicked out of the filmmaking club, right? We just want to be able to do another one after this. We want to be able to keep making bigger and better things. And uh, hopefully so far, it seems like we're in, we're in the clear on that front. I I would say so. (laughs) I think you guys have achieved higher, much higher than. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there are all sorts of little, you know, other goals as well. Like one of our biggest goals was to get the pinball, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Because Rogers told us specifically, he said, look, guys, I want the movie to be good. I do. But the pinball has to be right. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. otherwise, people are coming for him, right? Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we we worked really hard to make sure that those things were correct, that we got the right games at the right times, that, you know, even the sound for the games Mm -hmm. is correct, which, you know, I gather isn't always the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was a, lo- a lot of effort put into to that. And can I just say, we had such an amazing experience with the sort of wide pinball community. They really came together. And, you know, obviously Roger was sort of rallying the troops, but so many people donating games uh, for the production, just incredible, you know, loading machines from storage or from their basement onto their trucks and driving hours to set. It was it was really humbling the the outpouring of support well we saw it on our end a little bit because we were in a group chat with with josh and zach sharp and there would be questions of like we need pictures of this pinball machine we can't find them we need some just some sounds from it Mm -hmm. and and it was amazing to see that kind of length you guys are going to to make sure that history was correct for one of those because i'm taking credit because josh asked does anyone have uh, el dorado tilting and i said Yes, I have a friend who has an Eldorado, and I had him send me the video, and I sent it to you guys. 
Amazing. I remember that because we were this was was this before production started? Yeah, yes. it was early, I think. And he's like, I just need to I need to see Eldorado tilting. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I know I know a friend with an Eldorado. It's a not very common, but yeah. Great. That was great. Yeah, we were trying to figure out what it actually looked like. Mm-hmm. So we could set up a shot and sort of before we, you know, so while we actually stepped on set and everyone standing around looking at us to, we knew what we wanted to do. <laughs> so we needed to see what it looked like when you tilted that thing. That's great. Mm-hmm. I'll, yeah. And, and I should, I mean, we just, again, we got to say, thank God that Roger was, you know, signed on as executive producer and was there because mm-hmm. he, he really showed us a lot. And we had a great, uh, pinball tech Eddie Kramer who was there and I mean they kept things working they got machines and even if they weren't working they sometimes we had them look like they were working sure <laughs> um, and then the uh, Roger on a few occasions we had something fall through and we very quickly needed to get a machine on mm-hmm. set for the next day and he made it happen like yeah. it was, it was a, just, it was magic. I, I don't think you can find one person in the pinball industry that does not have a positive experience with Roger. Yeah, I believe it. I universally liked. So that that's amazing. A couple points that I, that I wanted to bring up that it felt, it didn't feel very heavy, heavy handed, but it, again, it nailed what was needed in that moment. And, and I'm kind of wondering how, as a writer, you, you pull this off one casting, whoever you cast as Seth is great. Cause I know kid actors are the hardest because they're, they're typically not professional actors in that they, you know, they're, they're usually kids who acting is a hobby. And so it's pretty obvious that, oh, uh, that, that kid's not very good. He played it perfectly. And there were some moments where like in the bowling alley when he talks about his dad not showing up. Yeah. Christopher is really good. Uh, he's not a newcomer. He's been doing uh, some acting for a while now. Right. Um, well, you and... could tell that he was trained. I'm, I'm just saying like finding an actor who is really able to, to do that. I mean, there was, um, that was a, it was a bold moment without being, you know, the, the rising stand clap at the end of 80, every eighties movie, you know? Yeah. I mean, as far as, as far as him, I mean, it, that's one of the reasons we chose him. Mm-hmm. He had that, he just, he could pull off that scene really well. And that we knew that was an important one. Understated someone who looks like he's gone, you know, gone through something, but he's not necessarily sharing that with the world. Right. Mm-hmm. He's, just you know, a little bit the the lack of the the lack of his father figure sort of had a little bit of damage there, but it's not uh, crippling. But it's right. there. We wanted to make sure it was there, mm-hmm. and he was just really good at that. Understated um, in a way, and yeah, I, that was a tricky scene to write mm-hmm. because we didn't want it to seem too saccharine. Mm-hmm. We also knew it was important. And that scene happened, by the way. I mean, mm-hmm. he did go to the Roger really did go to the father son bowling tournament with Seth mm-hmm. before, you know, uh, while they were dating. And that's why I really love the ending of that scene with 
um, let's go, you know, it sucks. Let's go beat the pants off these happy dad, mm-hmm. happy kids with fathers. I mean, yeah. I just loved it. It just, what a great line. Um, again, another, I think, Austin line. Damn it. You're getting all the good ones. <laughs> yeah, tonight. Alien. Uh, okay, seriously, I actually <laughs> unintentionally teared up when he said his dad died too. Yeah, and that was one of those, that was a tricky thing because we had a couple drafts where we alluded to that earlier. Mm-hmm. A couple drafts where it was much heavier mm-hmm. instead of a little bit more matter of fact. We had a whole draft that dealt with his parents and mm-hmm. his stepdad. And he, you know, very much, he, he talks about how he was grateful that he had two great dads. Mm-hmm. So it was a positive stepfather relationship. But so, and it just, at a certain point, we needed to cut it down and we needed to really wanted this to feel like a pinball game. And part of that is it's especially when you're, we're playing, it's got to be short, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> short yeah. and fun and fast and, and a little, yeah. and so we had to cut that out. So yeah, that was a, that was a tricky thing. We knew we wanted to include it. We knew it actually, you can read a lot more into the story. I think mm-hmm. once you know, like Roger's backstory with his father and his stepfather, but, uh, yeah, that was a that was a tricky scene, and I um, I think it I'm really happy with it actually. Especially um, we did not have a lot of time in that bowling alley that day, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were we were racing around, and I'm you know there's a little bit of movie magic, post movie magic in that as well. But it uh, I was happy with it. Man, mm-hmm. you should have. It took us forever just to bowl a strike. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> and everyone wanted turns bowling a strike. Yeah. Like, I'll do it. I'll do it. And of course, they, because we also had a camera in the way, like it was sure. not easy. It was not a, yeah. uh, so it was kind of fun. So I have to know you guys, you got the inter- initial interviews and there was a ton of interviews there. I assume you cut a lot from what Roger originally did, but did those inter- initial interviews actually shape the direction of the movie and the meta style of, of, the older Mr. Sharp being interviewed. At some point that happened. I don't know when uh, we, the way that we write is maybe inefficient in the long run, but I, or in the short run, but I think it helps us in the long run where we will actually do a lot of discussion. So we'll get together and we'll talk and we'll whiteboard things and we'll, you know, I'll do all that. And then we'll go in our separate corners and our separate offices and we'll each write outlines sort of here's one direction sometimes we'll write multiple outlines especially early on in the process we may say you know by friday come with three different one page outlines of how the story could go Mm -hmm. and then we get together and we discuss what the pros and cons of each and eventually we winnow it down to one outline and then we do the same thing for larger treatments and the same thing for scripts and but i think austin was the first one to come up with the older Mr. Sharp being interviewed and the ability, it just, it gave us a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. It, it added, Austin said a little bit of weird to what could otherwise have been a very standard biopic. Mm-hmm. And we really, I mean, we had spent so much time with Roger over zoom at that point and really, you know, grew very fond of him in our chats that mm-hmm. it was nice to represent that yeah. on screen. You guys hit him spot on. Yeah, I mean, holy crap! My I, my, I, my wife thought it was him. Mm. My my wife, I was like, yeah, they, they they nailed the actor who to play Roger. She's like, oh, that's not him. <laughs> well, Dennis was actually 
on Roger's short list uh, mm. when it, we came down to casting. He was the one who first suggested Dennis. And, uh, oh, man, what a difficult role that is because most of the time he's on camera, no one's paying attention to him. No one's reacting to him. Yeah. Or looking. It's a hard thing to do for an actor. And then on the flip side, when we, he is interacting with someone, it's me off screen, right? That's no fun mm-hmm. for anybody. <laughs> so hats off to Dennis. Uh, it's, it was really great uh, having him there. And it was also, it's been really fun, uh, the number of people who have conflated the two. We've had folks at festivals say, wow, that Rogers had such an incredible life. Did you, did you know that... Uh, um, he was on Better Call Saul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's been life. a lot of fun. It's a full life. Yeah, yeah. He's already completed the main quest. He's just doing all the side quests he can now in life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I even love. I love the humor too. Of like, there's a part where at the very beginning where older sharp is next to younger sharp playing pinball and you have some guy just run in like a milk crate or something like that mm-hmm. and put it down and he steps up and he's like ah oh, there we go now it's like yeah. looking in a mirror <laughs> just it's humor that you you don't expect from a movie and i've, I've got to say like i said i know that this is independent and, and you guys i don't know what your budget was but it, it astounds me watching this movie i could have anyone watch this movie and they think it it is a high quality you know ex, like big big studio made movie like look at what was that flaming hot it's a similar style of what you what you guys did with pinball the man who saved the game but that was done by like disney or something like that and i feel like your guys is on par or above what they did and so you guys have really accomplished something really great with with the limited resources that you you had mm-hmm. well all credit to the production team mm-hmm. i mean we really we had some great people working on this show and you know there there are going to be limitations anytime you're in this sort of low budget range and the fact that people were signing up and you know willing to do that and willing to come play was it was really good like having a fun movie is helpful in a lot of ways mm-hmm. <laughs> like having something that's fun to work on you know that will sway people from going i want to I don't want to do that depressing, gritty naval yeah, the, game. The drug history. addict show with uh, right. where they die at the end. Yeah. Even yeah. if even if we're going to be scraping, you know, for for every dime over here, this one's going to be a lot more fun. And we had a very fun set. We really we, did. We kept saying we're we're making a movie about pinball. If we're not having fun, we're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I I think part of the the fun of the set is we it, by the end of it we had about 30 pinball machines mm-hmm. and whenever we would call for lunch or we had to turn something around and there was a break you would just hear them all firing up and all the actors and crew and roger and and eddie and other would just be playing it was it's great fun. yeah yeah it was fun so so was that kind of the crew or was that just extras at the end of the film where you're kind of wrapping it up you're all filled in that room of pinball machines you're watching Zach and Josh play pinball. Was was that part of the crew, or was that mostly just extras? Oh, those were background actors. Yeah. Okay. In that 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 end, yes. And um, I mean, it would have been great to get Josh and Zach, but I think we were mid. We were in the middle of COVID. We shot this in yeah. during COVID. Yeah. We we're basically in a bubble at that point. Yeah. But man, yeah. I think I wish I know that some people like we chose out of the actors we had the ones that we thought were the best, but. 
And I know we, we get, we sometimes, uh, we said we got the pinball, right? That's <laughs> perfect. We didn't, we didn't get Josh and Zach, right? Okay. So, so guilty yeah. admission, I, we were texting Josh this morning Okay, and I messaged and I said, I love that you look like a bouncer from the Bronx. <laughs> he looks like a linebacker who's about to take you out, which is funny. Cause if you, if you meet Josh, Josh is, I, he's not that guy, but it's, yeah. it's hilarious. I, I don't want to. Yeah. We just, we, we had a limited number yeah. of background actors that had cleared COVID, uh, and could step in and do yeah. it. So, um, uh, but yeah, that was, we, we didn't do him dirty on purpose. I promise. <laughs> he he <laughs> no, also, he loved that the, uh, that the adult uh, bookstore was the first on the planet with a satellite dish. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trust me. There are a couple other things. Don't look too close. Oh no, no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But the vibe, just what Josh said. So I remember the seventies. I grew up in the seventies and this is exactly how the seventies felt. Well, like, uh, well, <laughs> okay. Felt. Maybe I in think retrospect. there was a lot more. I think there okay, was a lot more okay, smoking I, in the. I'm 49 70s. now, and so I'm looking back in life. But it, it certainly creates the vibe. Okay? Let's just say, yeah. So one of the things we wanted to do was, we did not want to create the 70s New York of taxi driver joke. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So when we were even uh, just creating a lookbook, which is a sort of a document sure. that you send out to folks to give hopefully get them on board and excited and make sure mm -hmm. we're all on the same page. Uh, we were very careful about sort of our color palettes and what we yeah. wanted. And it wasn't like so Dirty Harry or the, the every movie in the seventies was depressing. So right. and this is actually just growing <laughs> up in the seventies. I'm like, yeah, that style was there. This is someone reminiscing, telling a right. story about the seventies sure. for a family friendly audience. That's mm -hmm. basically what we're doing here. Yeah. And no one's chain smoking in the movie because that, no, that, no that, that, that was the seventies. Everything That's, smelled like, yeah. uh, like uh, stale coffee and cigarettes. Yep. That yeah. was a, it was a, a Roger Rask. We were happy to oblige with. Yeah. You know. Well, and if you, if you've looked over his pinball book, there's a picture in there. We joke. That's like, it's oh. a perfect homage to the seventies. Cause it's a pinball machine covered in like cigarette containers yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. and a Budweiser can resting yeah. on it. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. Yep. That's the one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You mean there this you book right here? <laughs> yeah, oh, mine's copies downstairs. Yeah. Ah, I was up for <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I will say at the end of the movie, my wife. So I, I was watching it again with my wife last night, and she turned to me and she's like, "So did they cut all those interviews in the book?" And I said, "Yeah, actually, that's a good question because I, I saw there was text in there. So that was one thing I confirmed with Josh this morning. I said, "So did, did they cut a lot of those?" And she's like, "Yeah, we probably still have them." So I, I, I. Pled with Josh to uh, to release the 2.0 version because I want to read all those interviews. I do too. Uh, we were given. He still had some cassette tapes, yep. and he. I think I don't know if it was Josh or Zach digitized them, but they were sent our Josh, way. Yeah. So yeah. even some of when we were in during the Chicago, what we call the Chicago montage, where he's in Chicago interviewing these people, mm -hmm. a lot of those quotes from you know the the a lot of those quotes were, were lifted, like exactly what people said. Yeah. Same thing with Harry Williams. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of this, you know, we got caught with our pants hanging around our knees. Yeah. You know, that's a direct quote from him. Well, oh, I wanted to be a Disney animator, but then, you know, the ball is wild. These things, 
were lifted from yeah. these tapes where you can hear a younger Roger asking him and, you know, dishes are clanking because they're in some diner yeah. and then yeah. it switches to an office. And so we tried to be as accurate as possible with that as well. But I would love to see, see those, that transcripts. Would you guys important. ever, would you guys ever consider doing an extended version of this movie? I wish, except I got to tell you, there is no extended version. Like we, this was a, we shot over 21 days. It was a, a as we mentioned, low budget, uh, still the biggest budget we've ever had. And I feel like we do need to say that like MPI films took a risk with us for sure. So we are totally grateful for what we had, but we were very careful about what we shot and why we shot it. There is one scene which didn't make it into the end, uh, final cut. Uh, and that's because we, it was a scene between Ellen and Seth before Roger met Seth. And we mm -hmm. simply wanted to hold that to make it more of a fun reveal for the audience as well. And that scene was maybe half a page. I mean, it's very short. Other than that, we cut a few bits at the, at the beginning, mm -hmm. which just because we wanted to keep it snappy and right. fast and get to streamline um, it. Yeah, exactly. But otherwise what we wrote is pretty much what's on there. Uh, there really isn't an extended version. Mm -hmm. Uh, th there were um, there were a couple quotes that I was like, man, that's great writing. So the uh, I actually have it pulled up right now. So when he's interviewing Harry Williams, he says the bigger risk is not taking one. Yep. Like that's that's a great line. And uh, another one was uh, I think I mentioned it before. Everything's on the on the play field for a reason. Like there, mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 just things like that. I'm like, that's actually those are those are stuff that you could see on a bumper sticker. Like that, that's, yeah. a, that's a really good like snapshot of life. Well, it reminds me too where he does talk about life being like pinball. You know, you mm -hmm. got to take your shot before the ball drains. Right. And we yeah. get our second chances or extra balls or whatever. I mean, there's just so many. I, I don't know how you guys captured it. You captured it well and you, you captured it. It sounds like with very few film to, to you know, to to expand on on top of that. But. You guys how, did a great job. How many days? Uh, how many days did it take to shoot? Because I know it, this was during COVID, so you were you were limited. Yeah, we shot for twenty one days um, in the Hudson Valley, New York region. Typically, how long do you get? If it wasn't COVID, how long do you get to film? Yeah. Us twenty one days. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's a, it's it's Clint Eastwood style. It's very uh, okay. We got it. I yeah. mean, this is this is our uh, this is our sort of featured debut. We don't have a lot of data points to really go off of, but Good so uh, twenty one days sounds right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know, you know. Obviously, if you're in, if you're shooting something for the Marvel universe, then uh, sure. you get a you, lot, you have a lot more, more a lot more CGI too. Yeah, yeah, and time to go back and do reshoots or do test screenings with audiences and tweak things after the fact. Yeah, mm -hmm. that didn't happen for us. We had 21 days to shoot, 10 weeks of post. Um, mm -hmm. The first time we saw it all put together uh, was at the premiere. Wow. That's impressive. Okay. That, I, that, I, that had to be a little nerve-wracking, though, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, okay, the first few festivals were, I are, think. Are you going to do a follow-up on Roger's book like the uh, so the next the next movie you release is on the next book roger published are you familiar the tanning with book huh the t how to how to 
had a tan without frying. Is that how, how, yeah. Yeah. yeah, how to get a great tan without frying. How to, great, how to get a great? It, it's a it's a riveting read. It's uh, thirty nine pages, including uh, <laughs> in, including footnotes. Yeah, what's that one going for on eBay? Oh, I I don't know. I bought this ten years ago. <laughs> Five bucks, I think. <laughs> I think it's great. I think it's great. Yeah, that would be fantastic. I wanted to put a tanning joke in there, and I think we kept trying, and we never could make it land. Um, but it seemed like too much of an in joke for people, right? Uh, but yeah, right. No, exactly. You don't want to wink too much at the audience. Yeah. See what I did? See what I did? Yeah. We did hide uh, Tommy in the background of the. Uh, the marquee, the movie marquee. If oh, you did you? Oh, yeah. okay. I guess I, did. I didn't see that. Yeah. You saw the satellite dish, but you I, didn't see well, Okay, I didn't see the satellite <laughs> dish. I, I didn't at all. That, that was something Josh Sharp asked. I was like, anything we should ask? <laughs> ask about the satellite dish? Wow. Yeah. You know what? I did do Josh dirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you made intentionally made him shorter than, than mm. Zach for the first time in his whole life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey, but he, he but he's jacked though. He's totally yeah, jacked. <laughs> oh, that's great. What was your favorite memory on this? There was the end of the first week. So we had just really gotten gotten our sea legs under us for production. Mm-hmm. Things were starting to really groove. The first couple of days are always a little, you know, you're trying to feel everyone out and see how the crew is working. Mm-hmm. And um we were shooting this the shot. We were shooting that scene and we were in, you know, we had to pick our, use our resources wisely. Mm-hmm. And we uh, definitely spent some money to be in that hall that we shot. Is it the actual hall? No, no, no. It's a, it's in Newburgh. Okay. It's an, actually an old bank. Um, okay. That's now a museum. So we shot, so we were in there and all these extras with, in the seventies clothes mm-hmm. and, and a lot of the characters were there for that scene. It was just, and there was for the first time in my career, there was a crane. We had a crane mm. and I, we were sitting behind the monitors. Things were going well. People were having fun. I just remember thinking, wow, this is great. Like I, I did not expect to be here. If you had asked me 10 years ago, you know, no, this is, this is great. And then we shoot, the the what we call the hollywood version of the shot mm-hmm. from yeah. that camera that was up great above. I, I loved it I, I loved that you did that people went <clears throat> it was the funniest thing i mean it was so amazing we it was just gold we mm-hmm. loved it and um i think we shot it twice but both times were just so it was so fantastic so fun so that was probably my highlight that's one of them for sure i just um i mean there plenty of memories on set that were just incredible but i keep coming back to the community the pinball community and and specifically you know we've had all of these festivals and screenings and fun things that we've done and everywhere we go it seems there's always an after party at a pinball arcade somewhere mm-hmm. and it's just been so much fun you know, talking with everybody and meeting everyone and the, the reception has been really welcoming and really fantastic. It's just, again, it's, it's been very humbling uh, and we're very appreciative. And I'll just also say like the cast we got together. Oh, the, the cast was great. Oh, good. There, there and, was nobody that stuck out. Everyone's like, yep, that's that person. And just great people. Like mm-hmm. they're just really good, decent, 
professional human beings mm-hmm. and really fun to be around when the cameras weren't rolling and and um just lovely like we we you know hats off to Lindsay Weissmuller who was our casting mm-hmm. director who really helped put amazing people in front of us and we couldn't believe our luck okay i i do have a question and we can cut this if you want <laughs> the mustache is comically thin <laughs> it yeah it, it looks a Here's little bit thing. like Ned Flanders, but w- with like a, it was like a comb over version of a mustache. It varies over time. Okay. <laughs> and here's the thing. You go back and you look at that shot of Roger yeah. from the set, you know, from 76. It's yeah. nuts. Yeah. That mustache yeah. is crazy. Yeah. That, yeah. that mustache Absolutely looks like it has, insane. has furry creatures growing in it. Yeah. It needed to be a little insane. And we yeah. knew that right out of the gate. Yeah. We couldn't ask Mike to grow one on that short notice. No sure. one can grow one, much no. less, you know, with a couple of weeks time. Yeah. Add to that, you know, we had some experimentation when Mike actually had an allergic reaction to the adhesive they're putting on. I mean, we love Mike. Mike was incredible on set, an incredible presence. Like, he had to shoot 21 days. He's in practically every scene. He's got that thing glued onto his face. And he was just a wonderful human being to have on set. What did we get? We had two mustaches? We had two, and one of them fell apart. Oh, <laughs> you can actually, yeah, we can sort of date the scenes by the the by the mustache. Yeah, and you know, it's this is this is part of the joy of filmmaking. Oh, yeah, right. You never know what your problems are going to be. Sometimes you anticipate them. Sometimes you anticipate them wrongly, or you know, it's just it's. You go to set with the mustache you have. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, once once it's once the the movie train is is rolling yeah there's there, there's only so much you could like it's just this is what we got this is what we got this is what we got this is what we're dealing with we move on yeah. there's probably not too many like giant roger sharp mustaches off the shelf that you can just <laughs> yeah. buy no they're not yeah, yeah. In, in the color that would suit mike yeah, yeah it was yeah. Uh, no, and it's... during covid and supply issues issues i mean it's it was a thing it was yeah. Yeah. We, definitely something we had to deal with no, it's a, okay. Uh, so we I, knew we like, we have to make this movie good enough that yeah. even if the mustache is a bit. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> we just, yeah. it was a degree of difficulty points. That's yeah. what we, it, you know, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> there was, there was some question about how much it, like whether we wanted to acknowledge it right out of the gate, you know, and we had some back and forth on that or whether we wanted to play with it. And, sure. But, you know, in the end, I just, I love that moment when Dennis is sitting down, pointing at the photo and saying, yes, that's me. And yes, it's a real mustache. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did laugh, though, when on their, uh, I think, first kiss while she went in and she kind of parted the mustache. Because, again, this rang true for me because I had just broken up with a casual girlfriend that I had. And I was like, you know what? I'm done for a while. And so I grew a Fu Manchu. <laughs> As one it does. was a terrible Fu Manchu, but it was, t- and, and I turned to her like our, when I, when I kissed her the first time, I was like, you ever kiss a guy with a Fu Manchu? <laughs> and she did. But the next night she's like, you need to go shave that. <laughs> so we actually, in the script writing process, we did a mustache pass. 
Okay. Where because because it's very easy, you know, you write you're like oh, and they're gonna have a big mustache. He's like, but it's gonna be so big and so noticeable that we need to call attention to it. So we actually went through and sure. added and made sure that every 20 or so pages, someone mentioned the fact that he had, like we were very conscious right. that this was going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to sort of hang a lantern on it, let everyone know like, oh yeah, it's, it's a thing. Everyone understands that. Mm -hmm. And apparently, uh, you know, uh, the, so we wrote in the, the parting of the mustache. Yeah. Yeah, like Moses, I believe yeah. it. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I love it when they were talking about shape. No, it's like testosterone on your face. <laughs> yeah. That was that mine. was Meredith. Yes. Yes, <laughs> you got one. You got one. <laughs> like a testosterone flag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I literally laughed out loud at that moment. I'm like, that is perfect. And whoever you got for the flamboyant guy in GQ, he was so great. I loved oh, watching yeah. him every time he was on. It's Brian Bat. He's amazing. Uh, what again? Such a fun set, such a gun group. But he was he was clearly having a ball. Yeah, and that was a tough one to cast because sure. the real Harry was just sort of this well known hedonist at GQ. This yeah. big I, what did they call it? A big mustachioed ball of fun. I think yeah. it was that you know he was just all about having a good time. And I think Brian really nailed it. And Brian, if you if you don't know, Brian was in Mad Men, mm -hmm. where he played okay. sort of a closeted art director. And um, uh, I have seen a couple people online talk about that. You know, in the Brian Bat universe, it's the same. He's just this yeah. is him, <laughs> which I love. He's fantastic. Yeah. No, it's uh, I, the the most successful actors play some version of themselves, <laughs> and and that's uh, and so that's why you see like when you think about uh, Marvel, I'm like, well, there, there is only one person who could have played Tony Stark. And that was uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Cause that, yeah. that's basically a version of himself. Yeah. And, and so, and so w whatever it's, everybody in the show seems to be playing a, an idealized version of themselves, which I think is great. I love his, his outlandish request too. So the I see plane. Yeah. Yeah. Plane. I got to shut down half of yeah. Manhattan. How much does that get him to cost me? All that is true. There is a, um, there, that is a hundred percent true. There's a great article. If you're interested called like something about the, the gay GQs from GQ called like GQ gay seventies. Sure. And it talks about, it talks about those two, you know, and, and sort of had the push and pull between them and how, Harry would just constantly keep asking for seaplanes and they would travel to, you know, weird islands sure. just to take a photo. He wanted, they did shut down Manhattan. The, the, what he pitches during that round, that pitch meeting about uh, monkey suits yeah. and Tarzan, it's in it. Like, that's why we show the photo at the end yeah. in the end credits. Like all this stuff is true. It was so good. Uh, yeah. Okay. We never I, got to find out why the photographer went into photography. That's like he starts into it, and then you're like, "Oh, we need to go to the uh, go to the hearing." Yeah, Rogers yeah. Like, well, there is a story Chris. there, and the story is because the real James Hamilton, yeah, who was also on set a couple times and made some cameos, he he has a he told a story in an interview that we read, uh, and then we chatted with him on, over Zoom at one point <clears throat> that he just he he decided he picked up a camera. Mm -hmm. And he went to a 
music festival in Texas and started taking pictures. And it was from those pictures that he ended up selling them to Crawdaddy and then working at the Village Voice. Like he just sort of, he wanted to learn how to take photos. So he just went and started doing it. And by mm -hmm. doing it, it became it's like one day he just realized that he was a professional photographer. Yeah. Um, but it was just him hitchhiking down to Texas. I think he hitchhiked, if I remember correctly. Wait, it's a good story, but. Which seems very similar to Roger finding like it's it's not like he went out it, the crazy thing when i when we talked to roger is that it's not like he said oh yeah i'm the pinball guy and that's that's my path he kind of stumbled onto it and he still worked at gq when he was designing games on the side yeah like he he was being a consultant and so he kind of like i don't know evolved into the pinball guy and then up doing the all the licensing too which is Again, uh, th th that's uh, brilliant to even bring it up in Imagine because it's like everybody knows, well, there was a Led Zeppelin pinball machine. They didn't do St Stairway to Heaven because uh, licensing was so expensive for that song. I mean, th yeah. there are things that you think about that he didn't know at the beginning. And it's unusual to see. Actually, it's unusual to see an uncertain Roger because that person doesn't exist yeah. in today's Roger. Yeah. Like he is, he is the most sure guy, confident guy. And, you know, just like, no, this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. But it's, it was fun to see him becoming that guy. Yeah. He, he did give us some insights into sort of how he saw himself back then. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, and again, great for filmmakers who are trying to write a story arc. Mm -hmm. You know, not all of them were positive. He talked about how, you know, he really just wanted a pinball machine. That mm -hmm. was it. He wanted to pin play pinball. He wanted one. If, as soon as he got one in his apartment, he was like, mm -hmm. I'm good. Right. I, I love how he turned them down I, I, in the movie. Anyway, he turned them down twice. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not doing that. I got my yeah. machine. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. And I think there's a little bit of a, a poetic license there. Sure, um, sure. Uh, but, but it is interesting to see that it's you would expect that they would call and he's like, Oh yeah, I'm totally in. And so I, I was surprised when he's like, you know what? It's no, that's not my thing. I'm not your guy. See ya. Yeah. yeah. So I, and of course there's poetic license. It's a movie, right? But he would talk about how he used to speak in headlines. Mm -hmm. It's only yeah. now later that he speaks in paragraphs. Yeah. He doesn't um, speak he in paragraphs. About... He speaks in the encyclopedias. <laughs> <laughs> talked about how he was bouncing around and he wasn't, you know, uh, definitely in contrast to Ellen, who definitely knew what she wanted. Yeah. Roger sort of knew what he wanted. He wanted mm -hmm. to write books, you know, next great American novel, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but he wasn't quite sure. And he was sort of bouncing on. He was just a little. And um, so that was that's great. That's catnip for screenwriters because mm -hmm. it allows us to tell a story of someone who, you know, changes and becomes who everyone knows now. So that was great. Right. Well, I think you guys are great at juxtaposing that too. There's a there's a moment where the congressman has said like, you know, it's not Hemingway, and and you're like, well, they're both banned. You know, yeah, they're both banned. That was a great that was a great transition. I wish so, I were that that clever. There's a lot of great juxtapositions <laughs> to mainstream pop culture that that go so well with the story that you guys had done, and you and I'm glad that you guys took those moments as well. I guess the only other question I have is, can you give us kind of some insight to what the future holds for the Bragg brothers? Can I mean, you? Just, yeah. Because <laughs> I would love to find out. <laughs> I mean, as we're having this conversation, 
most of the entertainment industry is shut down by two yeah, different strikes. Uh, ironic that we're going through another shutdown, right? And so we're, uh, you know, we've had a, a very good festival run. We've talked to a lot of great people. You know, we've had some fun conversations, but there's nothing that's moving forward at the moment. So uh, we're sort of, you know, trying to stockpile what we can on our end uh, so that when things open back up, we're ready to move. I think the tan movie is really uh, up to, up up there. We'll put it on our short list. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Idea board. <laughs> no, well, great. awesome. We we do have we we have our own version of hats. We'll we'd love to give you one. Uh, there's lots of different options. Uh, I'm wearing one. I'm wearing the 2.0 version. We have uh, the 1.0 is no longer available, but we have 2.0 and 3.0. Sticking so we'll, COVID. Uh, we'd love to. Yeah, I know. Dumb COVID. <laughs> so uh, we'd love to get you that. And if anybody has ideas or wants to reach out to you, how do they get a hold of you? The Bragg Brothers at gmail.com. Yeah, Perfect. we're not hiding. We you know we're there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very much. We we would love to thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, I know that you're busy. You're trying to uh, to do so many things, and we're a small podcast. We just love that you were able to take time out and and talk about your movie because it really. I was so excited to talk to you guys because it's cool. it's just not it, it it was so well done and it hit all the touch po- touch points in my life and I'm like I totally will watch this movie again and again. Well, I gotta say, and I, I know we've mentioned it off mic before, but I'll just say it on mic now. I am 100 percent sure that I listened to your Roger Sharp interview. Bef- now, whether I did it. Before I called him as part of my research before so that I would sort of have a pretty good grounding of what I was getting myself into when I reach, initially reached out to him or just thereafter. But it was part of our research process was listening to these podcasts and you had some really, you know, really nice deep dive into Roger that helped us. So thank you. You're welcome. I'm. It shocked me when you told me that we were communicating through email. I was like, mm-hmm. it's just funny because we did that. I was just like, we know Roger likes to talk and we had no nothing to talk about. Everything was shut down. Yeah. COVID and hit. We're like, we're okay, like, so what are we going to do? And we're like, well, let's, we, we haven't found anybody who's really discussed more in, in depth. We know the shot story, but we don't know the background of the shot. And that's, yeah. that's pretty much how that pitched to Josh when I was talking to him. And I was like, how do we do this? Yeah. Well, if you need us to interview anyone else, wink, wink, for yeah. maybe a movie potential, we we can do it for you. It might be out of the blue and random. Yeah, <laughs> email is always open. Uh, yeah, if you, I, we'd love. We have a Google Doc full of these weird embryonic ideas that um, you know start off as just a quirky photo of someone with an amazing mustache playing in front of growling <laughs> city council a, a members, congressman, all right. and then yeah, all of a whatever. sudden, you know. It, it, funny what actually turns out to to work yeah so yeah i'm i'm always open i love that stuff the the truth is stranger than fiction all right listeners if you want to get a hold of us we are loser kid pinball podcast at gmail.com you can get a hold of us there or on all of our socials which is at loser kid pinball slash whether it be facebook or twitter or instagram we're all on all those sites uh youtube also subscribe and whatnot uh, if you want some swag, we do have I'm, – I'm wearing the Triple Drain Hydra shirt right now. You can get that through silverballswag.com. That is Triple Drain stuff, but we are there as well. We have uh, got whatever your heart's desires. I think we're actually sold out on all the fabric. We got all bought out. It's pretty crazy. Oh, we need to get more. 
a lot of women out there making dresses out of pinball stuff. So that's really cool. I'm so excited to see that. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see it at Expo. And if you haven't reached out, we will. I will be at Expo. Scott will sadly not be there, but we're, we'll have some fun. So hey. anything else for Scott? No, we'll see you in about two weeks. And if you haven't seen it, go watch the movie. I, I, down, I have it on Apple, so it's on if, all the uh, available for, forums. So if you have Hulu, you can watch it on Hulu. So go hit it up there. Bye. Bye.